Well, we are here once again to answer the pressing questions of the peoples from the message this last weekend. This last weekend, we talked about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Uh, it starts with the whole thing of, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And you know, the surprising thing, we don't have a single question about the last days. Who wow. Knew? That's great. Is it great? Nobody's trying to nail it down, give the day or the hour. It's good because uh, we probably wouldn't have any good answers for the last days anyway. No, I got. I have no clue. I and do the not reason know. we wouldn't know is because Jesus said you will not know the day or the hour. So that's why we don't have any good answers for when will the, the end be. Boy, but if I knew... You'd tell everybody. I no, I well, I'd, I'd obviously I've had the winning lottery numbers also. And uh-huh. So uh, you know, I've been reading through the Gospel of Mark again recently in the uh, the listening plan. You know, following along, and I I love the fact that Jesus repeatedly tells people not to tell people. Like he just he heals a deaf man, don't tell anybody. Yeah, heals sh- a blind man, don't tell anybody. Keep this chill. Cast a demon out of someone, don't tell anybody. Raises Jairus's daughter, don't tell anybody. You know, that's a good policy. You know, actually, at the church, think of some of the miracles we've seen in people's lives, uh-huh. right? And Go you, tell it on the mountain, man. Yeah, but you don't You don't want people just showing up for a miracle, right? True. We don't mind if they show up if we're going to feed them donuts, though. No, I mean, you know, let's just... And that, those donuts multiply. If you eat one, you believe me, they multiply. They multiply something. They don't multiply more donuts. No. They, the, it's like you were talking about earlier today. I mean, it's it's a reality of physics. You can't get rid of matter matter matter, it's not diminished it is floating around the universe so if you lose 10 pounds which i've lost more than that there you go somebody else gained it that it's it's on a butt or a thigh or a belly or something somewhere (laughs) i lost it someone found it yeah it's that that flat is floating around the universe anyway so the last days um yeah no questions we're in them yeah great we're in them since jesus ascended into heaven we live in them now you know, we could make a career out of the last days things if we wanted to. You know, um, we could do a prophecy update. It'd be a really short prophecy update. Jesus said, don't worry about these things and get to work. So stop worrying about it and get to work. Yeah, when everybody's saved, we get to go be with Jesus. How's that That's sound? exactly what it says. Man. And in the end, we know exactly how things are going to shape up. He's going to be in control. There's not going to be any more death or sorrow or suffering. It's going to be all good. God wins. Mm-hmm. I like that. Optimistic vision of the future. I like winning. <laughs> haven't gotten tired of it yet huh? no i'm never gonna get tired of winning well so we did get some questions here though um you know so the message we we talked about some pretty heavy things in the message this last weekend yeah that way you know it's a um because we're talking paul was talking about the church mm-hmm. and we're understanding it. he's saying some really harsh things about people in the church and they're good things to call it out um as pastors sometimes we have to administrate Right. I'm kind of getting the the understanding as we go through First and Second Timothy that Paul was like the senior pastor and Timothy was like the executive pastor. Yeah, he was making Timothy He's do, making all, the Timothy do yeah. all the heavy lifting. Yeah, all the hard Isn't stuff. Isn't that kind yeah, of what that, I do? That's great. It's one, I don't have a problem with it. No? No. We're all suited to different things. I, You know one thing I do realize, though, in the books of, you know, with Timothy and Titus and all that? Uh-huh. At the end of the day, God really, as pastors, didn't give us that much... A million things to do. We just have these handful of things that we need to pay attention to and do. And so it's like, hey, I made it really simple, guys. Just do these things. Well, he knew that if he gave us more than just a few things to do, we'd totally screw it up. You run out of toes and hands and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if yeah, I can't fingers. count it all on my fingers and toes, I'm 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 in trouble. Yeah. Anyway. So what was this the first burning question? I I'm ready for it. 
Hit me with it. Okay. If I recognize that I have a hardened heart, how do I change that? Ooh. Now, here's my question. If you had a hardened heart, would you recognize that you had a hardened heart? You, whoa. Whoa. That was a rushing mighty wind. I, I was saying, I was calling Holy Spirit there for a minute. That was a noise. It's yeah. just the air conditioning turning off. Okay. Well, I, I was going to say, I thought it was the answer I was going to give. It's the middle of February, and it was 31 degrees out this morning, and I got the air conditioning running in here. And my 83-year-old dad was walking around in a T-shirt. He was not, He must have had a hot flash. That's what it must have been. <laughs> I was like, get that old boy back in there before he catches pneumonia. I mean, when I, if I had done that when I was a kid, I would have You would have gotten a smack. Scolded, totally. Like... Well, you're gonna you know, ca- maybe you're gonna it's catch- just the I- fact that your dad has lived so long in Southern California. When it gets cold like that, he's going, wow, this is what it's like? Yeah. You, 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 hey, you can't kill him. That's for sure. It, it takes it, a licking and keeps on ticking. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so if you had a hardened heart, would you even recognize? I bring that up because um, you've read the book of Exodus before, I'm sure, and there's this whole thing in the book of Exodus. Uh, theologians call it divine hardening. Mm-hmm. Uh, where um, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other times it says God hardened his heart. But I don't think Pharaoh realized he had a hard heart. He was just not, he was just a bad dude. Yeah. Well, he was he blinded again. He and was I, walking like an Egyptian. And I, I yeah. And uh, I remember reading a commentary that really, I forget who it was, it really struck me at one time. And it wasn't that God was being unfair. Mm hmm. And putting his hand over Pharaoh's eyes is that he just stood back and let Pharaoh be Pharaoh. And nothing is so blinding as for you to be your own judge and jury and uh, counsel and to not have God in your life. So God just withdrew his... Yeah, and every time that Pharaoh hardened his heart, God said, all right, there we go. We're not going any further back from that. Yeah, squarely his decision. It was totally his decision. So So if I recognize that I have a hardened heart, how do I change that? My my first thought on this is that... um, God is the one who ultimately changes hearts. So you got to come to him. Okay, so hmm. the passage is escaping me right now, but I know because hmm. you're amazing. Hmm. You're going to know the passage. But and I it got talks a about that'll tell me. In the New Testament, it talks about uh, hardness of heart in a, a couple different instances, and I've taught on this before. And in the original language, it's like when we say arterial sclerosis. Oh. There's a cardio something sclerosis, and it literally means the hardening of the heart, the way it's, it's transferred. But in the day, it was an expression that was used for the inability to discern spiritual things. That's what Man. hardness of heart was. And so hardness of heart was literally to say, if you're heart of heart, it means what Jesus was talking about was you don't have the ability to discern spiritual things because your mind is fixed on things of this world. And so my answer to that question is, yes, you probably don't know you have hardness of heart until either your circumstances or somebody by you, which is also circumstance, lets you know that you have a hardness of heart, you have a hard heart. But the way to cure it is to become spiritually aware, being able to discern and to decipher spiritual things. And the way you do that is by the Holy Spirit. And so you got to come to Jesus and you got to you got to ask the Holy Spirit to soften that up and and to make it so that you can discern spiritual things. So I think you're probably talking about the passage in Hebrews 3 where he says do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. That's probably the passage. So so it's interesting because I just I just looked up that word hardened there and it's the the Greek word scleraino. There you go. So you said what? Well we I said sclerosis. Oh sclerosis, sclereno. Because 
Yeah, well, that's where it comes from. Scleranum. It's all medical and whatnot. And cardia is the word for heart. The there Greek. you go. Interesting. And I was thinking of another passage, Old Old Testament passage, Ezekiel 36, where God promises to take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So he's given a new heart. He promises, I will give you a new heart. This is talking about the new covenant. So back in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, Ezekiel 36, 26, I believe, God promises that he's going to give people a new heart, which happens in Christ when we become followers of Jesus. And then, you know, thinking about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So God completely takes out that that broken, wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart of man is deceitful and, and desperately wicked. So God removes that desperately wicked hard heart and gives us a new heart. And in that new heart, the Holy Spirit dwells. So um, I'm thinking that if you realize and recognize that you have a hard heart, first and foremost, you need to confess that to the Lord and repent and uh, allow the Lord to come in and, and bring a transforming work by his grace, by his Holy Spirit. Amen. You're looking up something. What are you looking up over there? Well, I, there was another exchange uh, exchange with Jesus, and he is basically talking about the hardness of their hearts, and I was just trying to find Oh, it okay. Hardness of heart. Yeah. Mm, that's you, gotta got to be him talking. I'm, all I got is my brain. He's that's probably talking about um, some of the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Pardon me. Boy, oh boy. Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart. There you go. This is talking about um, divorce when... Uh, Mos- they ask about Moses permitting people to have a certificate of divorce. So because of the hardness of your heart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's This is this, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time reading my Greek words, sclerocardia. There you go. That's it. I knew it when I heard it. Yes. Sclerocardia. Let's, let's listen to this here. Watch. We can have our good friend Justin Alford read it to us. Strong's G, 4641, sclerocardia. That's Southern Greek. There's nothing like hearing a guy with a strong Mississippi accent talking in Greek. It's great. I love it. And it, I believe it's in a couple other instances there in the New Testament where that he uses that term. And it, it, it's literally the inability to discern spiritual things. There you because go. Because your heart's hard. It just bounces right off there. But the way to soften a heart is literally to come to Jesus. Right. He's the one who transforms our heart. He. He doesn't just reform. He transforms. Right. So to get back to the question, mm-hmm. how do you fix hardness of heart? Come to Jesus. You know, that's what that's I lo- pretty much the answer for most things. That's what I loved about two and three-year-old Sunday school. Yeah. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. You just boil it down to come to Jesus. You never ask a question. You never want to ask a question that the, the answer isn't God or Jesus. You pretty much just say the, the answer is always Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I remember one time I said, hey, Bro, the little kid was kind of, you're looking kind of rough, you know? Like, are you okay? Did, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? And he goes, oh, I didn't have anything. I grabbed a donut on the way in. Mommy was all mad, and she was arguing. Her boyfriend spent the night, and just, he went into the whole story. And I'm like, Kid wow. threw mama under the bus? Oh, me, me. Wow. And so. Uh, Is that diesel fuel? Yeah, it, that, yeah. The tire treads the whole thing. And I thought, you know, I mean, while I learned something, you know, that day, one of them was just never ask a question of a two or three year old that isn't God or Jesus in Sunday school because you're going to get a lot more information about the family, um, maybe than you, you need. You, so. you know what else is a part of that moral of the story there? If if someone's not serving in children's ministry, they're missing out. There's a lot of good fun in there. I I learned some great lessons in there. I had the time of my life in there. I, I still go back to there. lessons I learned in children's ministry. 
It's it it it's and you know what? Especially remember junior high ministry. Oh uh, yeah, that was fun. You learn more about teaching with junior hires because you cannot beat a t- uh, if you try to beat a point to death, it is like land the plane, brother. Yeah. You that, you remember my first introduction to Mark Childers, Pastor Bubba, as I knew him back then? Well, no, what was it? What it did was, we do? It was we were at a youth camp and we were having <laughs> a baptism and and it's like this somber moment. There's one of those, you know, kind of emo worship leaders setting the mood with some music. And and you came in and did a full on cannonball into the water and said, "Let's get this started." Yep, it was. Let's get this party started. I, I mean, like, there's Pastor Bubba. Well, I we mean, were instant friends after that point. I said, "You know what? We should work together." Absolutely, that's a time of joy and celebration. People like showing the world that they love Jesus, and it's like we're all sitting around like somebody just died. Hmm. I'm like, I don't want to sing songs and light candles. I want to. I want to be excited about this. And this is a big deal. In fact, some of those kids I know, I see them all the time. We're still walking with the Lord, so. Anyway, I got my method. Good times. In yeah. fact, I think by doing that, you did the sprinkle method of baptism on about 150 people right in so that moment. So it was like a pre-baptism. Right. It's works. It yeah. works. I mean, yeah. Okay, number two. If I am struggling with some of the things mentioned in verses 2 through 5, this would be of Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, am I not saved? Well, let's look at some of these things. It says men will be lovers of themselves, boasters. Uh, okay, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So if I am struggling with some of the things mentioned in verses 2 through 5, am I not saved? Pastor Mark? <sighs> I think not necessarily. No, I, I think it's great that the person's asking this question. Right. So that says, that's a heart right there. It's like, hey, I'm a little worried here. I don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to inspire the memo. There you go. Right? I don't want to be the inspiration. I don't, I don't want to be Hymenaeus or Philetus. Yeah, those guys are, you know, I I don't think they're going to be in a lawn chair next to us in heaven. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not the judge mm-hmm. of that. If, if not, they're at the end of the line. Who knows? We might be right there with them. You never know. I mean, I, I don't want to be too, you know, I got Jesus. That's what matters. But anyway, um, I think it's great that they're asking that question. And you know what? I think it's a good question they need to keep asking. Yeah, you, you don't want to be so paranoid about your faith that, oh, am I not saved? Am I not saved? Certainly, and, if someone can continue to walk in that kind of sin without any conviction and just continue to walk in it, then yeah, that person should be concerned about their place with God. Yeah, well, I'd be really concerned when the Holy Spirit's not convicting you of that behavior. Yeah. And you and I have both seen it in people in very sad, drastic ways. Conviction's an important thing. Absolutely. I heard one, I don't even remember who it was, but years ago, someone talking about the whole situation with David and Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And uh, he was making the point that if the time between the time that you sin and the time that you repent is short, then there's brokenness. But if the time between the time that you sin and the time that you repent is long, then there's a serious problem. And he talked about how David... It was like an entire year of him covering this whole thing up. And, uh, and of course, I think when you read of David's repentance, it's recorded in Psalm 51, you realize that that was a really terrible year for David. Things were not going well. He was not a happy camper when he was fighting against God and not willing to repent. But uh, yeah, there was a lack of brokenness there. But there was ultimately conviction, and God, because he's gracious, made sure that David didn't get, he didn't get to stay in that bad spot. Well, and if you're talking about hardness of heart, uh, if you think in this situation... 
David didn't get didn't bust himself. Somebody had to come bust him for him. God had to step in and but send that shows somebody. that shows so much of God's grace and His mercy in that situation too. He's trying to throw the guy a bone, right? Like, come on, repent. Yeah, I've been I've been trying to deal with you while you're lying on your bed crying at night, telling you you better repent and you won't do it. And so fine, I'm going to send the prophet to you. Nobody likes to get ratted out by a prophet. No. So, answer to that. Hmm. Hmm. That's a hard one because I'm not in charge of your salvation. And if you're doing those things, that tells me if you continue to do those things and you're doing so without repentance and you're not slowing down, you know what? You're acting as an enemy of God. And if you're a child of God, he's not going to let you stay in that spot indefinitely, in perpetuity, as they would say, uh, because he wants you to he wants you to be in right relationship with him. Absolutely. So if that knowing that you know, draws you into a place where you're repentant and asking to be forgiven and you're trying to move forward in righteousness instead of, you know, backsliding into wrongciousness, as we say. <laughs> wrongciousness. Wrongciousness. Nice. Are I, you are you pulling a John Corson and making up a word? Is I somebody else I learned that from an old Sunday school teacher actually. Just make but up a word? He used to say to his kids, Are you what are you? Are you moving towards righteousness or are you tattling under wrongciousness? Oh nice, nice. Yeah. So uh, wrongciousness, yeah. That's a good word. There's a t shirt there. It's well, probably not going to go as big as leads, WWJD, but, you know. This leads right into the next question. What does it mean to repent? Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. The big R word. Well, bringing up David, mm-hmm. he was a big, fat sinner, man, but he was a big, fat repenter. He was a great repenter. You know, uh, just before our staff meeting this morning, I uh, I was actually reading in Psalm 51. I got it open right here on my iPad. That That's the repentance passage. And uh, it says, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba and his repentance, you're right. I mean, this is what makes him a man after God's own heart. Because there's plenty of people have asked me that question over the years. How is it possible that David is a man after God's own heart when he committed adultery, lied about it, covered it up, had the guy, the gal's wife or husband murdered, you know, all these horrible things like, man, that's a man after God's own heart. It's like, well. Psalm 51, his repentance, that's where we see him being a man after God's own heart. And I I think it's great that God, you know, allowed somebody he really loved to really, you know, not going to go around it. He he screwed up. Big time. And we got to see it. We got to read the commentary on it. But the fact that he shows with repentance comes forgiveness. And that repentance and forgiveness, they go right together. Yes. Like it's, it's, you know. Confession, repentance, yes. forgiveness, they, they're right there together. So repentance literally means a change of mind. I mean, that's the actual definition of the word in the Greek that's translated repent to change one's mind. But, you know, pretty much always that change of mind, it it develops and brings along a change of action too. So it's not just a mental thing. It's actually a lifestyle transformation and change that takes place. Right. I, I think um, we see this a lot in marriage relationship. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm sorry. Hmm. And it's like, of course you're sorry. You're a sorry person, right? That can mean a lot of things. But to say, you know, I, I, I am sorry for this, and I, and will you forgive me? That's some. That's a. That's a little bit more vulnerable. That's a little like I want to be forgiven for this. You got to love the conversation between Jesus and Peter when he's telling his disciples about forgiveness, and Peter says, "Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times." And you kind of get the sense that Peter's like, I'm, "He's going to get a pat on the back for saying up to seven times." The Lord's like, "Yeah, you're so generous, Peter." Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Up to seventy times seven. Yeah. Of course, 
you know, Peter, like us, he didn't have that many fingers and toes. So he probably had to get John to help him out to do the arithmetic to figure out what he was saying. But it I doesn't would, I, personally, when it comes to math, I'm going to the tax collector. It's all good. Levi. That's right. Levi. I should have thought yeah, of Levi. Just go, I'm rolling right to Don't the tax collector. Don't go to collector. the young John guy. Go to Levi. Levi he knows. What, yeah. How much is that? 490. Yeah. Plus, you know, if you add in a couple points for yourself. Oh, Carry the yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's what it was. So I, a pattern of repentance. So when you hear people repenting and you see it genuinely, we like we get to watch this out, play out in people's lives. It's it's not that much different than the time you gave your life to the Lord, like the sinner's prayer, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, turn to the Lord, right. It's, hey, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to be forgiven, and I acknowledge that your way is the right way, mine isn't, and I can't do this without you. I've screwed things up enough. I've been going this direction, and now I'm turning and going the other direction. Yeah. You and, turn, 180. Right, and when I'm really sucking up to God, like I'm in a place like, oh, man, I'm really serious about either repentance or like I want God to really know you know, some people fast, and and I'll do that. But but to me, it's like I want to acknowledge who God is, how great He is, mm-hmm. the fact that He is a Creator, He is my Father, the sacrifice He's provided. I mean, I go down the whole list. If Anthony was here, we'd break into a song, "How Great Thou Art." I if I could sing, I would. Yeah, but, but we won't. We won't. Mm-mm. But uh, we don't want that recorded. I go into that. I like to go into that, and just acknowledging like who God is and what he's done and the things that he's done in my life. And then like, man, I messed this up Mm -hmm. like in spite of all that. And I remember when God is having the conversation with David, he says, I've given you this and I've given you this and I've taken you from this little place in uh, Samuel. Correct. Um, And if that was not enough, I would have given you so much more. Hmm. And David went from a, a a place of obscurity to being as famous as you could get. Yeah. And God did it all. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a work of God uh, based upon repentance. You know, there's um, a really good message on this whole thing of repentance by an old preacher by the name of J. Edwin Orr. And uh, yeah, they search it on Google if you want to find it. But it's called The First Word of the Gospel. And he, he shows how John the Baptist... He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew right. chapter 3. Jesus, he comes along, says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the apostles, when Jesus sends them out the first time to go uh, two by two to go preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, they go and they preach repentance. And then at the end of the gospel of Luke, when Jesus is commissioning his disciples, he says, this gospel of repentance is going to be preached in all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then you see Peter preaching repentance on the day of Pentecost. You see Peter, I'm sorry, Paul preaching repentance in his ministry. So really when you see the gospel begin to move forward, whether it's John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles, Peter, Paul, all of them, they're carrying that message of repentance. Well, in that example of the Pharisees, that's, you know, I'm glad I'm not this guy and that guy. And like the guy who's beating his chest is saying, Lord, yeah, I'm, I'm forgive sorry. Me. I'm a sinner. Yeah. If you want to. You know, if you want to snuggle up right up to God and be next to his heart, that's where your heart needs to be. Yeah, there's a difference between being religious and being repentant. Yeah. It's easy to be religious. It's not always easy to be repentant. Any husband knows that's the case. Yes. I remember hearing a preacher, I don't know who he was, mm-hmm. and what did he say? You got to take pride and put it to the side. You got to take self and put it on the shelf. Man, oh man! And I was like, man, that that's awesome. A wordsmith. Right I wish there. I'd come up with something like He's that. He's like a rapper in his off time. It, it it was it was ghetto and profound all at the same time. So repentance is the right response to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, it results, as you said, in forgiveness. We are weak, but he is strong. 
indeed. Yes, Jesus loves me. You know, there's also the passage where it says that um, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. repents. Yeah. So God is joyful when repentance happens. There's a party in heaven. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Paul says your loving kindness leads to repentance. That's good. God's loving kindness. It should. Mm-hmm. Um, next question. Let's see here. Are we on number three or number four? Number four. Uh, how do I confront a Christian friend who does not have the fruit of the spirit in the way that they live? Good stuff. Okay, Slap first, down. Now no. I did bring this up on Sunday and I think that you got to start with, with this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, verses one through five, judge not that you be not judged first. Remove the beam from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck right. from your brother's eye. So I think first you gotta you got to make sure that you are doing it from the right place. Right. So you're not you know, bashing the person over the head with the beam in your eye when you're trying to remove the speck from theirs. Right, and I also like Matthew 18, which is one of the most ignored verses. I was, I was going to say, yeah. Mark, you probably want to talk about Matthew 18. Well, I, I like Matthew 18 because you're doing it in the spirit of restoration. Right, and that, that's really important. And the, the aim is always to restore. And, you know, part of my job over the years at church has been I have to jump in the middle of a lot of these disagreements. And how many of these things never would have gotten to the point of gossip and slander and all these things when it turns out if you just had a simple, private, calm uh restorative is that a name a restorative restorative, yeah. Yeah, restorative uh spirit to your conversation anyway the spirit to restore the person i'm thinking the best about a person and ask them the question a lot of times it's a simple misunderstanding they were misquoted and the devil just has a field day with it in the miscommunication it's like those english movies huh where they go back and forth and they just won't communicate and then finally in the end they go oh you love me i love you too let's get married it's like, I could have made the movie like four minutes. But it, it wouldn't have been as fun. No. But in a church, it it sucketh? Is that a... <laughs> so, the the well, King James for not being good sucketh? So let's, let's, let's actually look at the actual passage. Matthew yeah. 18, 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's good. No gossip. Good one, yeah. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Everybody loves the IRS. Right-o. I just did my taxes. I'm still waiting for stuff to come in for mine. Praise be to Jesus, I'm getting money back. Wow. But that's for another story, another day. Yeah, that's another one. Um, so yeah, yeah Matthew so, 18. So, so how many times? Yeah. So I think the first thing is you got to enter in the, into this thinking like, okay, first of all, am I clean? Yeah. Am I good in this? Yeah. And am I doing this for the right intention? I would ask myself before, okay, is this beneficial to the kingdom? Is it scriptural? And is it correct? I mean, does it represent wisdom and all those things? And uh, is it is it helpful? Like you don't need to call everybody on every little thing. But, yeah, sometimes you know, we need to get a little bit thicker skin. Yeah, because you maybe didn't hear that person, or maybe you're just offended by it, you know, correctly. But I, I do we like do the, live in an, an overly easily offended culture today. Is there anything somebody can't get over sensitive? Yeah, about? you know what they're actually calling this time now: the age of outrage, outrage culture. Everybody's wow. got to be outraged about everything. Outrage sells. 
Yep. It so, does. It does. But what I really like about that verse in Matthew is, you know, what it lays out in the very first step of it is if you go to the guy and, hey, it was a misunderstanding. I didn't hear that. That wasn't your heart at all. You've gained a brother because that guy goes, man, that guy really cares about me. Like he took the time before he, you know, hit print Right. Or excuse me, send on the email or the blog to everybody post. else, or the blog post, or, or the, the text Facebook message, post, yeah. or whatever it is. Uh, what is it about social media that makes people feel like they can just say whatever they want to say whenever they want to say it with no consequence? Because you you can't hit them in the face online, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like on the playground when you're a kid. Yeah, you would never say it to them. No, because you're going to get your nose broken, right? And so uh, now we don't. You know, I guess we don't. We're afraid. I call them keyboard tigers, right? You know, you know, you get the email from somebody complaining about this and that. And they got a hundred problems, and they're so bold. And then you, you sit down in front of them and go, "Now, what's the problem? Let's talk about this." Oh, oh, everything's okay. It's they get emboldened by the pre by the the keyboard. I think sometimes. So, I, I really encourage people when you're going to send a really nasty email or accusatory whatever, stop, drop, and roll. Mm-hmm. Maybe just go talk to that person. Yeah. Because it's hard to get the it's hard to get the emotion of an email and the facial expressions in an email, but just saying. So hardness. How would I rest, how would I talk to somebody a brother that was going on that? I would approach them very quietly, very privately. Um, pray yourself up, just like you're going in anything. Just as much prayer as you put into a job interview or a wedding proposal or whatever. I would go into it and then try to be really understanding and say, "Hey, I'm understanding this and this. I'm watching this as a pattern in your life." And is there something I'm missing here? Because, man, bro, you're missing out. Yeah, this would fall under the category of iron sharpening iron, really. Like you're trying to help this person be better in their walk with the Lord. Yeah. And if they're like, no, I, I you know, I'm st- I'm doubling down on, on dumb, then um, you know what? Um, well, then there's a the next step. Right. Well, and so um, I think along these same lines as Matthew 18, I think also of the passage in, in Galatians chapter 6 where Paul says, Brethren, if anyone is overtaken into trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. I think that, that two things in that passage are really, really important in this. If you're going to go and confront someone is, number one, it needs to be for the purpose of restoration. Your goal is to try to restore that person. And number two, you need to do it in, in an attitude of meekness and gentleness and not self-righteousness or, you know, I'm, I'm so much better than this person, which right. can happen. For and sure. the last thing you should do is start talking about it with other people. Right. Go to that person first. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, yeah, don't, 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 cause then it catches fire. It's bad for them. It's bad for you. It's bad for the church. Gossip is never good. No. In fact, sowing discord among brethren made a list. Look down upon, look down upon. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you got to figure that the, the word for gossip in the Greek language is diabolos, which is devil. Don't be a devil. Gossip is the devil's radio. Don't be a broadcaster. Oh, wow. Did you make that up or did you get that from somebody? I didn't. George, I didn't think this, so. telling you how old I am. I think it was George Harrison, the guy from the Beatles. Really? Said that was in the play yard at his school and it always struck him. Huh. An little odd bit, thing to remember. Bits truth, huh? Little bits of truth from the Beatles. Yeah, there you go. Okay, number five. Are you saying we need to kick out Christians who live in sin from our church? Well, I think Paul was saying that. Let's try to rightly divide the word of truth here. If someone's openly practicing sin and they're unwilling to repent, Matthew 18, we've gone to that person. We talk to them one-on-one. They don't listen. We take another brother 
or a couple of people with us, they don't listen, we bring it before the church, they don't listen, uh, then yeah, the, the the church discipline that's exercised is to remove them from the church. But uh, the, the point is always restoration. Um, church discipline is always, first of all, focused on the individual that's being disciplined. We, we want to restore them to a right walk. Right. And, and I, when I remember I was mentioning earlier about there's, you know, a list of not a ton of things for things the Lord hates. Well, no, but for, for the church leaders to do pastors ah, yes, in this yes. case, he didn't give me a, a, a list of, a, you know, a thousand things. And that's part of being a shepherd over the flock. And, and obviously there's degrees of this. Like if somebody's in a wrong relationship with the Lord, let's say it's a guy who's wanting to volunteer at church all the time, but he's not really taking care of business at home. Yeah. There's things that need to be done at home. And, 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 and Paul says you're worse than an infidel. Right. Because you're not taking care of your family. And so you need to have priorities. So in that case, I'd say, hey, bro, appreciate you being part of this, but we need to either dial it back or you need to minister at home a little bit. And then let's revisit this in a little while because I want you to be here. This is a good desire and a good thing. But if you're not, if your wife and kids are upset with you and feeling uh, shortchanged because you're at church, you know, every day of the week volunteering, that's not healthy and that's not biblical. Well, and um, <clears throat> pardon me, we have both, both of us been in ministry for like 20 years now, which mm-hmm. makes us sound really old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the 20 years, I think we've, we've experienced church discipline before go multiple ways. Like one, the person does repent and they, you know, they realize that they need to turn back to the Lord, confess their sin and repent. And then there's restoration. You've gained a brother, just like yeah. Matthew 18 says. And then there's other situations where the person gets ticked and decides I ain't listening to you. And who do you think you are? And they bail. I mean, I, it's yeah. it's been more often that people just decide I'm not going to listen to what this guy has to say and they just leave than we ever get to the point where the church has to be involved in a church discipline thing where they're actually asking someone to leave. More often than not, people get ticked and they they don't want to repent. And they leave. right, and then they just take that that issue to the next church and the yeah. next church and the next church, and then next thing you know, every church in your city is bad. Yeah, is in your head. And you don't realize the common denominator is you. Well, invariably, and I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen this a couple times where someone gets upset because they've been confronted about something that's inconsistent in their life, uh, according to the word of God. And so they bail, they leave the church. And then we see them come back, uh, you know, three, four, five years later and their, their life's a mess, but they are repentant. And that's great. Yeah, that's great. We want to see people restored. We'd rather not see them go and have their life become a mess in the process. Right. And, and these things go from a timeout to, I mean, you, you want to be really careful about like who's on stage, mm-hmm. uh, who people are looking at and can see all the time that their lives are lives that model uh, what what a biblical life looks like. Right. Uh, you can't, you know, and there's their standards are set forth. They're obvious They're We don't make those up. Those are in the Bible. So, OK, um, number six. If my children are disobedient, how should I discipline them? Pastor Mark, your kids seem to turn out okay. Not bad. They're good. This I'm blessed. This was a question I sent in. I'm blessed. I um, need to know. So what do you mean by discipline? Like, I don't know. What Actually, the corporal punishment looks like? Or, or if the, my uh, children are disobedient, how should I discipline we're them? We're spankers, well, man. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The rod yeah. of correction draws a man far away from It's iniquity. sad to think that it goes through your mind when you say that. We're spankers that, oh, someone's going to be upset. But it's like, hey, listen, this is the Bible does talk about the importance of correction. Discipline is a form of correction. So, um, you know, I, 
in, in just thinking about this, I'm thinking about the passage and let me bring it up here in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Um, the author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, five, and you have forgotten the exhortation, which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by, by him for whom the Lord loves. He chastens. Right. So discipline is a form of love and he scourges every son that he receives. If you endure chastening, so you submit to this discipline, then God deals with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our human fathers, did indeed for a few days chasten us, as seemed best to best to them. But he, for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening, no discipline seems to be joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So um, discipline is a form of love. So there does need to be discipline and um, with our children. And, and I think it's important, at least as my wife and I have disciplined our children over the years, that you discipline uh, for the for the point of correction, you don't discipline out of anger. You discipline out of love. Um, if if you're angry and you need to discipline, you need to take a moment before you discipline your kids because you could certainly get yourself into trouble in that situation. Uh, and I, when I say trouble, I don't mean legal trouble. I mean you just get yourself into a problem of sin. So discipline for the purpose of correction out of love is very important, always with an eye towards restoration. Yeah. I'm, so disciplining kids, um, we definitely were you know definitely engaged as parents it was right. really important to us and so um and i was taught very early on you win the battle for 13 at age two so consistent discipline and my wife and i always agreed on the crime mm-hmm. like we did not argue or disagree about things in front of the kids about this is right and that wasn't right we already had it set up we realized that and there was degrees of it like we were really we were really um, hard on uh, direct defiance authority because yeah. we felt like we wanted we don't want our kids to defy the Lord, and we were really big on truth and respecting one another. And so um, they had the warning. We would do the one, two, three thing. They realized they were in sin. They were doing something. And if you hit three, there was going to be a spanking. But one, two, three meant that you're you're in trouble right now. Mm-hmm. And so, but we were really consistent about it. And the interesting thing was, is we actually, well, except for one, but because uh, every kid's a little bit different. There, right. I don't think there's one, the consistency is important, but yeah. I think every kid responds a little bit differently. But the consistency of sticking to your guns and, and, and so they know it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's not a surprise. And so they know it's coming. They know that they've messed up. But the consistency of just being a consistent area, they know the rules, and then following through and not arguing about it is really, really important. And I think, again, not when you're angry. Right. And let's be honest. I mean, I want I wanted people to like my kids. I wanted them to grow up and to be adults. I wasn't trying to raise kids. I was trying to raise adults. Mm-hmm. And those adults were one day they were going to... Um, leave the house and be productive members of society. And so that's what we were shooting. Yeah. You're raising adults. Right. So we're not, 
shielding them from every bad thing. Well, you know, I like this guy, Jordan Peterson. He uh, wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life. And one of his rules is do not let your kids do anything that will make you not like them. That's a great rule. It's a great rule. I And so, like, let's be honest. If you didn't get Cause, angry... Because, I mean, let's face it. There's no one going to like your kids more than you. They're your kids. Right. So if they do something that is make you not like them, no one's going to like them. So you got to right. make sure that you raise them in such a way that you're raising adults. Right. But let's, let's be honest. If I wasn't angry by my kids doing something they weren't supposed to do, my butt would not have left the couch. Yeah. Right? So you get up to... But you don't do, discipline in anger. But you don't discipline right. in anger. But you, you realize, like, hey, this has gone too far. I need to, to, to be proactive with this. And so just, yeah, that consistent discipline. And, so. and, you know, the fact is, if you are consistent in your discipline with your kids, it doesn't take very long for uh, your kid, when they are acting out and doing something that they're not supposed to do, just the look, just a look, you know, corrects. Right. And uh, honestly, if in the beginning you're being very consistent with your discipline, you're not... When they're little kids, they're going to get spanked once in a while, but it is not going to be a daily thing. They're going to figure it out really, really quickly. And so, I don't know. I had one kid that got one spanking, and I'm not sure she deserved it. And that was only one? Just one. Just she was one just, spanking that was reformed. Done. I, no, I think her older brother messed up so much. Uh-huh. She's like, man, I'm not I ain't doing do, that. That guy's a knucklehead. I'm never going to do that. He just does not get it. That guy is dumb. Yeah. So, Yeah. Okay, well, uh, no more questions, but shifting gears. Uh, so it's in the news today that the Padres are going to spend $300 million for uh, a new ball player for the next 10 years. Uh, do you think this will make the Padres any better? No. Not a chance. No. Not one. Not no. Uh, they're going to need more of an active god than than $300 million baseball player. They're going to need some real Padres there praying for them in, in fasting. $300 million? $300 million for a guy by the name of Manny Machado. And uh, he's going to come and play in 26-year-old. Uh, four-time All-Star is going to be moving to San Diego to play at Petco Park. Is he a nice guy? I don't know, but he's he's $300 million richer. Wow. I hope he does something amazing with that money. Let's just say he he must have a really good agent. Yeah. What's the agent get? 15%? I don't know. I've never been famous enough to have an agent. Yeah, maybe it's not that much money, but if it was, that'd be a lot of money. Wow. Talk about a payout. To play baseball. $300 million. Wow. Maybe I should have spent more time throwing that ball around when I was a kid. Nah. (laughs) Nah. Yeah, I think God's got us doing what we're capable yeah, of yeah. right here. Treasure think, on earth, treasure in heaven. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not, that guy may do something amazing with all that money. He may be just a wonderful guy. And Manny I, Machado I needs I, Jesus. I hope he knows Jesus. If he doesn't... If he's a part of a good church, do you think he'll tithe on that? He should. He should. I would. He better. Yeah. I mean, it, tithing's fun, huh? I think it is. I get a kick out of tithing. Yeah. It's like, worship. Well, I love the auto tithe, like where it comes out you know, of your check before God even gets it. it yeah, comes, you know, I mean, before you get you, it, God gets it. That's awesome. Interesting you bring that up because I just had a conversation with someone again uh, the other day was asking me, well, don't you think by doing the automatic thing that that's like less worshipful because they were saying it really means something for them to put money in the bag when it goes by. And I said, well, I don't know. I've, I've never had any problem with it. It's an interesting concept. Well, I like it even better because nobody sees me doing it. Yeah. I mean, we're it's talking about it right now, but that let's just be honest. That should just be a no discussion thing. It just, we just need to do that. But I think it's cool when God gets it before you do. Talk about first fruits. It is first fruits. That's so first fruits. It's just like before even first. Yes, indeed. 
I really like uh, Larry's thing when people are struggling with that. How uh, Larry Osborne? Yeah, give. Okay. He tells him. He says, "Give five bucks a week and see what God does." With yeah, that. absolutely. That's been uh, when I did the finance class. I told someone just. I told everybody just choose some amount and just give. You, you make it what? consistent. Make it regular. I can tell you over twenty years. Yeah, and I was. I did all the benevolence for a really large church for three years of it. All every benevolence thing came to me. Uh huh. In all those years, I probably had less than five times when I had a person that was consistently giving come to me with a financial problem. Right. You know, there's that old saying, you can't outgive God. And I mean, obviously, we don't give to get, but the fact is that God, He takes care of His children. That's for sure. Yeah. So is it obedience or discipline has its own reward? I think there's a there's there's a there's a reward in obedience. Absolutely. So yeah, Andrew Murray wrote a book, The Blessings of Obedience. Ooh, it's a good book. It's small, not a not a long read. Well, there is something about desiring obedience over sacrifice. Absolutely. So yeah, love it. Anything else going on besides three hundred million dollar baseball players? Oh, probably nothing we want to talk about. Yeah, rain. It it's going to rain again tomorrow and the next day apparently. Is it a crazy world when we take something that's totally a blessing from God and something we totally need in Southern California and we look at it as an inconvenience? Man, I don't think it was an inconvenience. It was awesome to watch. I was watching like rivers go down the road. It was amazing. You know what I saw yesterday? I love, right by my house, there's these cool waterfalls. Every time it rains like that, we got the coolest waterfalls by our house. Really? Yeah. So cool. Two of them. They're beautiful. I saw a double rainbow yesterday. Double rainbow all the way. All the way. Mine was only a single rainbow. It was funny when you sent me that picture. I was outside getting the mail and I was watching the rainbow a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Sun was setting. Beautiful bright orange sunset with rain. It was awesome. Do you think my part of Escondido is more anointed or something? You're up on the hill, so you your sun sets later than my sunset. Oh, I'm in okay. the valley. I'm in practically in a different time zone. There. Yeah, I'm I'm in darkness. And men, then men love darkness rather than light. Well, That's and why then I Garrett sent me a picture of how the rainbow was going into the back of the truck with his mountain bike. My rainbow was ending on the golf course, and I thought, you know what? That's exactly where the pot of gold is. For where your heart is, your treasure will be also. So I didn't see any leprechauns. I was looking. I'm going to be good right now. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that's good. That's that's good. And, you, and you're not even Irish, so that's no. the, yeah. No, that that, that yeah. that's good. That's good. Where, well, where was it that you said that basketball picture? What was that going on? Basketball picture. What are you talking about? There was a a, a picture on a basketball court. And there was a little guy on the basketball court. Oh, I was in a restaurant. I saw that on TV. Oh, okay. I think it was like a pro-am thing. It was like actors playing basketball. It was, it was yeah, there was a little guy. <laughs> he was playing basketball. He, That's just terrible. I mean, the guy was, he was a, you know. A little person. Vertically challenged little person. Yeah. And there's guys playing against him that are like six foot five, six foot six. It was totally unfair. Please tell me they didn't pick him up and let him make the basket. Totally unfair. He was quick, though. He was fast. Oh, I bet he could get really get around on those guys. I don't know what it was. It was last Friday night. It was on TV. It was on TV. It couldn't have been a value. <clears throat> well, I think that's about it. I don't have any more questions. I don't have any more answers. But next week we will. All right. All right. See you then.